Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, July 26, 2022 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz trombonist, composer, arranger, and educator, Michael Deese. Michael Deese is one of the world's eminent trombonists, lending his versatile sound and signature improvisations to over 200 recordings and groups as diverse as Grammy-winning artists David Sanborn, Christian McBride, Michael Camillo, and Alicia Keys. Born in Augusta, Georgia, he played the saxophone and trumpet before choosing the trombone at age 17. In 2001, Deese moved to New York City to become part of the historic first class of jazz students at the Juilliard School, earning both bachelor's and master's degrees and quickly established a reputation as a brilliant soloist, side person, and band leader. His album, Never More Here, released on the Positone label in 2019, is Deese's newest release, and it's a reflection of the influence of Charlie Parker on his life and is much deeper than just a collection of bird tunes. These songs depict Parker's influence and others' creative directions, paths less, less traveled by protégés J.J. Johnson, Jackie McLean, Jimmy Heath, and John Lewis. Parker's influence sparkles in artist-composers Eric Alexander and Eddie Daniels represented here. As a band leader, this is Deese's seventh album for Positone and 13th of his career and features Renee Rosness, Rufus Reed, Lewis Nash, and Steve Wilson to shine new light on these mostly rare songs. Deese recently won the 64th annual Downbeat Magazine Critics Poll for Rising Star Trombonist, the 2017 Best Jazz Trombonist from New York City's Hot House Magazine, 
and is a sought-after and three-time Grammy Award-winning lead, section, and bass trombonist with today's leading jazz orchestras. His experiences include bands led by Christian McBride, Roy Hargrove, Nicholas Payton, Charles Tolliver, Rufus Reed, the WDR Big Band, the NDR Big Band, Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, and the Dizzy Gillespie All-Star Big Band. However, it is on the front line of quintets and sextets led by master musicians like the Heath Brothers, Winard Harper, Rene Rosnes, Bill Charlap, Claudio Roditi, Louis Nash, and Rodney Whitaker, where Deese has revitalized the trombone's image. Not content to simply improvise, Deese arranges and composes for many different bands and constantly adjusts his tone and timbre to add just the right flavor to the music. Deese's unique blend of curiosity, hard work, and optimism has helped him achieve worldwide recognition, including awards from ASCAP, the International Trombone Association, Yamaha, Eastern Trombone Workshop, the New York Youth Symphony, among others. Deese was recently profiled in Cicely Janice's book, The New Face of Jazz, an intimate look at today's living legends, published by Random House. His experience in the studio led him to produce several recording sessions for emerging artists, often composing and writing liner notes for the releases. A recipient of the prestigious Michigan State University Teacher Scholar Award in 2018 and the Michigan Distinguished Professor of the Year in 2019, Deese's singular talent has made him an effective teacher, resulting in invitations, master classes, and residencies at the University of North Texas, Temple University, New World School of the Arts, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and among many others. He currently teaches jazz trombone and improvisation at the Michigan State University College of Music and also has served as faculty at Queens College, City of New York, the New School, and Northeastern University. Consistently in demand around the world as a summer workshop jazz educator, Michael Deese serves as director of the Jazz Institute at Brevard part of the storied Brevard Music Center in North Carolina. Many of Deese's current and former students have earned international recognition and are enjoying successful careers in New York City and around the world. Consider, considered an informed but forward-thinking musician, Deese learned the craft from tri trombone legends Wycliffe Gordon. Joseph Alessi, and master teacher Dr. John Drew. His associations have run the entire spectrum of musical experience. Alicia Keys, Kirk Franklin, Kanye West, Paul Simon, John Batiste, Aretha Franklin, John Meyer, The Temptations, Paul Schaefer and the CBS Orchestra, Elton John, Neil Diamond, Illinois Jacquet, Slide Hampton, 
and the world of trombones. Fred Wesley, Maceo Parker, the WDR Big Band, George Gruntz, Billy Harper, and numerous others. Michael and Joy spent every possible minute with his extraordinary wife and professor of percussion at Michigan State University, Gwendolyn Deese, and their daughters, Brooklyn and Charlie. He is also an aspiring painter, sports car enthusiast, amateur coffee snob, Star Wars scholar, 80s horror music aficionado, and bassist. Michael Deese is a Yamaha performing artist, proudly uses and endorses Yamaha brass and woodwinds, Van Doren reeds and mouthpieces, best brass Japan mutes, picket brass mouthpieces, and ultrasound headphones, Hercules stands, and AMT microphones. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Michael Deese. Hello, Michael. It's really great. Hello, Craig. To, uh, how you doing? Yeah, well, I'm doing well. It's really great uh, to talk with you, and I'm glad to have you as a guest on my show today. Uh, a question I want to start with is uh, is is one that I uh, ask every musician because I'm always curious to know who or what turned the light on for you. What turned you on to music? I started hearing saxophone solos. Um, in the music that my father listened to, uh, doo-wop music, uh, blues, uh, R&B, or you know, early rock and roll, and they all had these baritone saxophone, tenor saxophone. You know, what I learned later was like walking the bar solos, you know, real right. bluesy. And so in school, they had us, and I was interested in band, and, and when I saw the saxophone, I said, oh, this clicks, you know, this is that instrument that I hear you know, in the music of my father. So, so uh, I, I started playing saxophone in school and, and then you recognize it on the radio. Uh, smooth jazz was popular in the nineties. Certainly when, uh, when I was listening to the radio a lot on the way to school and, and, uh, and yeah, that, that became the, really the, the beginning of me doing music every day. Okay. Well, then, then uh, specifically, who or what turned you on to jazz? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. The, uh, you know, so the blues was was if that beginning story is about the blues, then the next part is about jazz. Uh, my mom, uh, who's from Brooklyn, New York, uh, and and you know she grew up in the fifties and the sixties, so. So she just ran across the music normally, you know, it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, odd, odd to have jazz clubs around or have jazz playing every night in New York. And she said, when I was about 14, 15, she said, son, you know, if you're going to play saxophone, you know, there's only, there's one thing I know for sure. You got to know about bird. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I said, well, who's bird or what's, what's a bird? You mean like a bird? She, she said, no, bird is a nickname of a of the greatest saxophonist that I know of. His name's Charlie Parker. Mm -hmm. And so she bought me a CD. We went to Sam Goody, you know, the CD store that sure. is no longer around. And she found us two CDs. One of them was the Verve Jazz Masters Greatest uh, Cuts of uh, 
he's like the collection for Charlie Parker. Yeah. It started with um, KC Blue, KC Blues, Kansas City Blues. Right. And the next track, the next track was Confirmation, and so that was, I heard that, and I was in love, you know. Um, and then she got me another CD called uh, by this company called Excelsior, uh, and it, and it was great, greatest jazz saxophone. Mm-hmm. And it had not only did it have Charlie Parker, but it had a cut by Coleman Hawkins, Live in Berlin, uh, Don Bias, uh, Lester Young, Sonny Rollins. And I, and I was, you know, that was actually the, all the different styles was so kind of overwhelming. I just, you know, I didn't have the bandwidth to process all that stuff. I mean, so the the Charlie Parker was just kind of like the, what do you call it, where the the Pied Piper, you know, mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> I just, I just followed, you know, I, I, every time I heard it, it was, I mean, every adjective you can think of, uh, it was, you know, lyrical, powerful, passionate, intelligent, uh, you know, you know, rhythmic, uh, uh, relaxing, energetic, uh, complicated, uh, challenging. I mean, all these, you know, it's like the yin and the yang. It's the, <laughs> you know the simple and the complex the sweet and the sour the salty yeah. and the umami and you know I, I i didn't really understand anything about it because i didn't have a, a teacher at that time i didn't have anyone to tell me about chord changes or scales or transcribing mm-hmm. or but i but i knew that this was something that I, I was interested enough to 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 pursue in some way Sure, sure. Well, I think it's I think it's very interesting that your stories, uh, you know, when we think about it, a lot of people, I think, forget that some great, many great jazz uh, artists uh, also played in R&B bands. I mean, Coltrane played in R&B bands, so did Clifford Brown, you know, so I mean, and R&B where it came out of basically big band jazz. Uh, you know, more of the small groups with Louis Jordan, you know, he was in Chick Webb's band. And and so that, that kind of dovetails in, in a lot of ways, you know, they were just trying to kind of when, you know, bebop started coming on the scene and modern jazz, they were still trying to keep a simple, more danceable kind of sound. But I'm with you. I love those, uh, all those bar walking right, solos. Right. I've got, I've got a, a big <laughs> multi CD set that I, that I've had for a number of years of nothing but those kind of players. And, uh, you know, and you're right. It's, uh, it's like when you, you listen to someone like, uh, Charlie Parker, you, you get, uh, you know, really intrigued. I mean, I'm still turned on by bird. I, I heard, uh, I hadn't heard the tune a provav in quite a while. And I heard it well, about two, three weeks ago. And the next thing I know, I started listening to it again and again and again. And not not just, you know, the head, but also the solos and, and how he was, uh, uh, you know, creating what, it, you know, the unique uh, melodic vision that he had based on the chord changes. And, and it just really, well, so anyway, long story short, I sat down and started writing an arrangement uh for my band to play because it's such a great tune you know it's just a blues but it's it's such a great tune and uh bird was so rich with ideas that uh it'd be hard pressed to uh uh you know for i think for anyone to say that uh you know 
to listen to Bird and not be impressed and then having to take time to process it would be, would be, I mean, I think we're still trying to figure out Bird and Coltrane and, and uh, yeah. a lot of those folks. Well, how did you get from saxophone to trombone? Well, you know, I can, I can add in a piece that I left out um, with that. Oh, okay. You brought that up. Uh, you know, the, uh, well, 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 to jump on the opera vibe, I, I think the, you know, so, something I learned when I moved to New York studying at Juilliard is, is I started hearing about all these um, conversations, you know, in the music that, that, you know, music is a, a, a dialogue, you know, and a back, you know, it's a, a relationship and a discourse. And I, and I had no idea about any of that. I was just, I enjoyed it and it challenged me and it made me think, but the, uh, the rhythmic, the rhythm itself is language, you know, mm -hmm. it's a language that's old, older than, older than almost everybody. And, and I didn't realize how compelling that is that, that, so when I, you know, when you, when I listen to Aprovav, it's a, a conversation that's still relevant today and will, will always be so, uh, because of, because Aprovav, the syncopation shows, uh, exchange and balance. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you know Stonehenge. We're gonna be looking at Stonehenge forever, and like in just in shock and awe. And that's the same thing there. So so to to jump from from there to to the other thing is you know I'm from Augusta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and listening to the radio like the 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 blues theme, you know, was is real strong in my life. Uh, my mother listened to a lot of Motown and Atlantic, and and so. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just always kind of soaking in the blues, and 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 when I started playing saxophone, we would we would. My mom was so so sweet. She she desperately tried to find me a jazz club, you know, in in Augusta, Georgia, in 1992. Is just what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we went to the closest possible thing where where they had a band, they had a singer, and he played trumpet. Um, everything had a kind of a backbeat and a and uh uh and every you know everything had a, had a nice pocket and then i realized man i'm i'm james brown is from augusta georgia like this is mm -hmm. there's a reason why the like funk in the pocket and and the blues is so strong here mm -hmm. um, and so i started sitting in with those bands um uh they, they they hardly ever played any swing uh but but it was okay because what they were doing was authentic and uh that that was really where I, I got my first taste of that and then you know now to get to the to the you know trombone uh you know here hearing james brown you know you you the first person you get introduced to with james brown besides james uh is fred wesley yeah and, and so I, I heard that and I, I just thought it was amazing but it but you know being a, a woodwind player you know, it felt, it felt like such a distance to me, mm -hmm. you know, the trombone, wow, this trombone's an amazing instrument. And then not only is James, uh, Fred Wesley and James Brown related to that area, but the great Wycliffe Gordon is from uh, that area too. And so Wycliffe came to my high school and did a, did a clinic, a music clinic for us. And I remember hearing him play on the instrument. He can make all these sounds and and dynamics. I mean, he's a, a remarkable musician, and 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 you know, he held us all kind of in in a trance with 
mm-hmm. you know, the way that the way that he tells a story as a trombonist and uh, as a musician. And, and I just remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. And I'm, it's just a whole nother world. It might as well be on Mars or Venus or something. I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I didn't feel like I could connect to it because it was a, a trombone and I'm a saxophone player. And if, if that's like, <laughs> if that's all the way left, then this next experience is all the way right. So, you know, I'm driving uh, to a gig. I used to play gigs with uh, a friend of mine, Dan Fells. Uh, and he was a guitar player. We would do these kind of saxophone and guitar gigs playing popular songs and uh, and he said hey man you know have you ever heard Jai Coltrane and I said no you know um, he, said, he, he knew a little bit more about stuff than I did and he said oh man you gotta you gotta check out John Coltrane you know uh, and I was playing tenor saxophone at this point and he uh, he put in Blue Train and I have all the records he could have put on he, he put on Blue Train, you know, mm-hmm. so many records with John Coltrane. I mean, he could have put on Giant Steps. He could have put on any of the Miles mm-hmm. Davis, you know, but he chose Blue Train. And so, you know, uh, the train plays, Lee Morgan plays, and uh, and I'm and it's, it's fascinating, you know, but but uh, I'm just kind of taking it in. And then the, and then the trombone starts playing and. I get arrested. I, I, I stop, stop, not, not, not actually arrested, but yeah. you know, I, I just, I just, I, 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 we were driving and I pulled over to the side of the road. We were in a rainstorm and Dan said, Hey man, are you okay? I said, just be quiet for a second. I need to hear this. I need to hear him play the solo. And we finished and I said, well, what instrument was that? And he said, well, that's the trombone. That's the trombone player. And I said, I've, I've never heard a trombone sound like that. Um, and it's not a knock against Fred. It's not a knock against Wycliffe. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, it's more of a, a realization of, of, of the connection that I had to Curtis Fuller. Okay. You know, I, I was hearing like a, a relative of Charlie Parker mm-hmm. being, being, uh, being represented in an in an instrument that I, I thought was, you know, never would never be possible. Yeah, well, and and that's and, the thing is, it's remarkable about people like Curtis Fuller and J.J. Johnson. You know how well they adapted, uh, you know, bebop to the trombone. Right. Just just because of uh, the technical differences or the management of the instrument. Uh, right. how different it is from say the alto sax or the tenor sax oh god yeah you when know. i when i heard that i i didn't i i don't i didn't know what to do is is to to this day other than you know my wedding day and the birth of my children it's that's it's on that level you sure. know for me is a person and um and that i gave up saxophone that day for many many years mm-hmm. uh i switched that night i i Got my best friend to steal his trombone out of the attic. His mother, did. his mother didn't want to give me the trombone because they had paid a lot of money for it. But uh, I didn't have any money, uh, and I asked. And I, he wasn't playing it, so I said, "Man, would you, would you get it for me?" He said, "Man, my mom won't let me take. Won't, you know, she doesn't want you to have it." So uh, he's like, "But just come, come by my house. Meet me at 
at my window at three in the morning and, I'll, and, I'll, <laughs> and he like handed the trombone through the window man i'll oh, never forget done. him uh-huh. i felt like i felt bad about it so i i saved up some money and i got a hundred bucks and i bought uh an old ambassador and gave him back his horn and yeah, I just I taught myself in those early months, and mm-hmm. and I became a trombonist. Everybody trying to talk me out of it. Um, I think you know, trying to look out for me. You know, I was I had spent so long uh, trying to become a good saxophone player that they they were afraid that I was going to just kind of throw that away uh, mindlessly. And but I but I was the furthest away from mindless as possible. I I had finally found out what I was supposed to be doing. Well, there you have it. I mean, it just yeah. it, it hits you like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? Exactly. You know? that's, yeah. the, that's the expression. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's that's a great story. I think you know we all have our own origin stories and 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 kind of what gets us turned on and and it's you know a lot of it. You're right. My story is very similar. I got turned on to music because of what my parents would be playing on, uh, you know, stereo at home, whether it was big band music or it was uh, Broadway musicals or or Herb Alpert. You know, I mean that was that. You know, which then led me to Doc Severinsen, which then led me to big band, you know, modern big band and so right. forth. So right. we all have these different kind of things that that uh, that uh, grease our gears, so to speak, and head us in that direction. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm curious about your thoughts uh, since you have had, you know, that experience in different styles. You know, jazz comes in a lot of different flavors. Uh, yeah. And so what is the essence of jazz? across all of its various flavors and how is jazz perhaps different from other styles of music yeah wow that's a man that's a that's a good question and uh i feel like i feel like if you asked a lot of people that question you'd get a lot of different answers <laughs> well that's why i ask it because i do get a lot of yeah. different answers but uh yeah. you know i mean a lot of people would say you know i had a, a blues artist one time we were talking yeah. about we weren't even talking about jazz and he said he considered jazz to be educated blues and then i've had a jazz artist say you know what wow, is like what it. is what is the essence of jazz and he said well it's the presence either explicitly or implicitly of the blues in the music i mean it may not be a blues but there's always kind of that underlying subtext uh you know because of of uh you know origins uh of course the, the more obvious answer i've had a lot of people say well it's improvisation you know the improvisation right. is is central uh uh you know so i've had a lot of different uh uh answers but say in your experience i mean of hearing people like someone like fred wesley compared say to curtis fuller what do you think distinguishes maybe differences in their approach to playing the music they play well, I, I think, you know, it's funny you said that because I was going to say educated blues. You're <laughs> <laughs> funny. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, nothing been, like, a, nothing like, like an obvious prompt, right? <laughs> no, I've been, I've been, you know, one of my hobbies outside of Jiffy jazz music is um, stand up comedy. And I've, I just, I've been listening to a lot of Norm MacDonald since he passed away. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you know real dry stuff not, oh yeah you know, i i mean i just love it he's loaded with sarcasm and that's my yeah, favorite it's funny it's funny you know? what you were gonna say i was gonna yeah say yeah funny exact I was just... same 
I was going to say the same three things. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> no. Okay. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you about, I can give you what I think is, um, I think, I think, you know, what we deal with in a, a lot of, of in society is, um, and is, is, you know, we, we get really hard opinions and not a lot of compromise. Okay. So, so, so jazz to me is actually about, is about the, the way things work together. So, so <laughs> compromise is in, in discourse and discussion is, is huge. If you don't have a conversation and you don't have a relationship, either there developing, then it's, then to me, it's, it's not quite jazz. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, so for instance, uh, you can have music that has swing. Uh, it, it can it can be a blues form, uh, but if no one's listening to each other, if there's uh, no no uh, causal relationship, cause and effect, call and response, something that makes it of the moment of, of a reflection of of what all the musicians are bringing to the table. If everybody's going in and reading the script, um, even if it has all the, the the bits and pieces of jazz music, then 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 it's not, it doesn't have mm-hmm. the spirit of jazz. So, sure. so, so what, what I'm saying is there's a spirit and a craft, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, not all woodworking is, is art in wood. <laughs> you no, know? You're, no, you're right. Uh, you're right. And, 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 and so I think, I think sometimes people are, are talking about the spirit of the music and then sometimes people are talking about the craft of the music. So, so, you know, improvisation, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of ways to say it. Um, I mean, I could, you know, I'll be a little crude here. I mean, I could walk up to a, I'm sitting in a parking lot, right? And there's a, you know, there's a nice Honda pilot next to me, you know, without thinking of what I'm going to do next, I could get my tire iron in the back of my car and smash one of those windows, mm-hmm. you know, that, that could be completely improvised. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I haven't done it yet. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, sure. Uh, and, and, and that could be complete improvisation, but I wouldn't call that jazz. Right. So, 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 so jazz to me can't be just improvisation. Right. You know what? What? It, so, so if it, if something is jazz improvisation, what makes it jazz? Mm-hmm. And and so, jazz to me has to be, um, you know, I I I completely believe the blues or the lack thereof <laughs> has a part to play in whether something has the spirit of jazz. In it. Okay. Um, I I think the the rhythmic component or the lack thereof, you know, like you can choose to play uh, and, and give a rhythm like a swing beat. A swing beat is something that a lot of people identify with jazz, mm-hmm. but but that doesn't mean it's jazz, you right. know, because you can you can have a swing beat without the spirit, right? You know, you know the the, the same thing is like you can have a, you know, a lot of people are upset upset at these um, security officers in Uvalde, you know that. Uh, that they say were there and didn't do anything or waited, waited for backup and, and all this stuff. So you have a security guard that's a, 
as nominal, nominally called a, secure, a resource officer, yet when something went down, they weren't very resourceful. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, I, uh, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, this is an analogy. Like, like I'm not, and I'm not even sure that happens. That you know, they're still they're, they're got to do an investigation. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, I like, I don't, I think it's kind of short sighted to say, you know, it's got to be swinging. Um, it, 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 there has to be a blues element. Um, sure. And you know, but but certainly, if you are a jazz musician, then that's a deep study. And, and it's something that jazz musicians, you know, are, are certainly expected to know how to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. Well, you've got to have a common language to communicate. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and within within that framework, like you have musicians that are jazz musicians that that don't do other things that other jazz musicians do. Uh, but but they know them but they play different styles. Right. Right. You know, and, 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 and so when, when you start, when, when people like to, that's kind of why I started off saying what I said is that, you know, you know, people like to label things and the people that are swinging that are playing swing beat like to say that anybody that's not, that's not playing the swing beat can't swing. Right. Right. (laughs) Or if it's, or or if it's not swinging, it isn't jazz. And right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it, I, it's I always, you. and it always happens where someone that's not known for swinging sits in with someone and sounds amazing playing mm-hmm. playing Take the A Train or Body and Soul, mm-hmm. and then and then you take those same players that play more traditionally, and you put them in a free jazz context or avant garde or a a modern situation where they're right. playing perhaps with different harmonies and different different time uh signatures and meters and they sound great yeah so so uh you know to i think i think that my my complicated answer is a compromise it's it's Mm -hmm. it's um you you have to decide whether you're talking about the craft or the spirit okay because you can have the spirit of jazz um with, with with less craft and you can have the craft of the music that doesn't have the spirit. I think that's, a, that's an excellent answer. Well, let's let's kind of uh, uh, kind of a, a concomitant sort of question. Then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, music that's been labeled jazz has been around for over a century, uh, mm-hmm. and currently here in the twenty first century, jazz is not really central to American popular music yet it still exists and it still lives and it still thrives. Right. Why and how has jazz sustained itself over the past century? You know, there, there's a lot of things that, I mean, that, that's the, that's the issue that is not, you know, uh, unique to jazz. I mean, Shakespeare, uh, you know, uh, Rolls Royce. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of, extremely intelligent high level um uh super ultra emotionally and intellectually deep elements of of our culture that aren't wholly popular true you know but but they but they last and they they, they're around and and enough people get it and and are interested in, in learning about it and sustaining it to, to keep it growing and evolving and 
and and to keep the information and the knowledge in a place that's accessible for the next generation. Yes, um, hey, I, so, you know, yeah. well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. So, so well, uh, I, but, I mean, you know, we don't know what I don't know who all my audience is, but yeah, you're preaching to the choir when you talk to me. Yeah, because I agree 100. percent But but that's one of those things that that uh, you know, when, when you're when you're comparing like you know, popularity of the 95 or the 99% to the 1%, which if, if we're talking about comparing your latest jazz artist or a grandmaster of jazz music, comparing them to Kanye or Jay-Z or Justin Timberlake or Britney mm -hmm. Spears 20 years mm -hmm. ago, you know, when, when you're comparing those things, um, you know, it's easy to compare them like apples and apples because they're both musicians and artists. Uh, but, 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 but they're not really straight comparisons. So, so you can, you can get kind of a false equivalency, um, mm -hmm. because when somebody comes in to a jazz club and they hear somebody up there playing, they don't, if they're not a jazz, uh, aficionado or a fan or have some sort of, uh, connection to the music, they generally know very little about what's happening. Right. They don't know the background of the artist. They right. a lot of times don't don't know the instruments, uh, so they're not able to process like the the contour of the music, where the melody, what the solo, how the solo is developing, all these all these things that make the music interesting to to people that know. Now, if you take that person, let's say, I mean, we could pick anybody. We could pick my father. You know, my father, um, you know, because of me actually appreciates jazz now because he's been educated uh yes. albeit slowly but if he walked in and elvis was playing let me tell you he would know he would know the hits from the yeah. new music yeah he would be able to compare the voice that elvis had back in the 40s up into to the tone that he's got now he would he would you know he knows where he was born when he was born uh how he learned to play guitar uh, he knows the name of his manager with the Colonel, Colonel Perkins or something like, uh -huh. like so many, so many people approach their popular music from an educated standpoint. Right. That, 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 that they have, they have a context for, for, for getting it and digging it. You have to, if, if you're going to give jazz, if, if the listeners out there are going to give jazz a shot, you have you have to at least level that playing field and, and learn a little bit about it and don't be afraid of learning about it you know it's it's you know we're, we're when you listen to pop music you got to realize you're reading about that stuff in in the paper or in your apps you're getting tweets about it you're getting instagram about it uh you, you know tmz's doing articles about who's sleeping with who oh, yeah. um so so you know, it's, it's, it's kind of silly to me that people that that know so much about pop music, you know, obviously like it, but then know very little about jazz. And, and right. that's enough of a reason to not like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> I suppose <laughs> when I encounter somebody and I say, well, I, yeah, I, I play jazz. Oh, I don't like jazz. Well, why don't you like jazz? So I don't get it. You know, yeah, they know or, nothing about it. Or, you know, when I when I taught jazz history and appreciation at the university, 
in my in the earliest days, I used to take my students down to a local restaurant where there was a jazz quartet that would play every uh, Sunday night, and they would have to stay for uh, they play with the band would play for for four hours. I'd require I'd put the students in groups. And they'd have to come and stay for, you know, at least an hour for, you know, because the band would play like 50 minutes, take a break, you know, and did that. So I, I would have, you know, 12 to 15 kids at a time. The guys uh-huh. in the quartet, they were cool because I knew them and everything. And it was, and it was like, I would, it was like a lab because I would explain right. to the students, I said, okay, what you're going to hear is they're going to play a melody and then you're going to see the musicians take turns extemporizing based on how they're inspired by the melody and the chord changes, you know, this sort of thing. And uh, I don't know how much that impact had, although I've had a few students report back to me 20 some odd years later that they're still listening to jazz. I guess I must've done something right, but, but anyway, um, so as a jazz artist, uh, what, what is uh, the major challenge of being a jazz artist in the 21st century? Uh, major challenge, you know, the, uh, it, 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 there's a challenge that I think comes more naturally to, uh, uh, pop musicians. Uh, you know, you could relate that to say Hollywood, maybe that right. there's a, there's a pathway, like the pathway is, is, uh, you know, get noticed, you know, do some work. What work's going to lead to this work? Well, you know, who's, who's this, who's the director of this, who's going to put you in touch. Right. Um, and you know, it's who, you know, and then okay. there's a big support system. I think in jazz, um, you know, the, the, the pathways are a little more narrow or maybe a lot more narrow. Um, you know, the scene is smaller, uh, which can be a benefit sometimes, but, but it can also be, um, you know, a, a challenge in, in that, uh, things are a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, less, less spots, you know, for instance, uh, you know, the same exists in classical music as well. Uh, sure. Uh, there's only so many orchestral seats. There's only so many full-time jazz orchestras. Uh, there, there's less major labels for jazz music. Uh, the uh, and and then you and then you find people that cross over uh, in that that are able to uh, you know create a persona, uh, an image, uh, a brand of their artistry that reaches beyond the jazz uh, sphere. So talking about people like uh, uh, Esperanza Spalding mm-hmm. or, or certainly John Batiste, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, we're talking about people that, that, that have, that have connected those two things. And, right. and now, right. people, now people that uh, appreciate popular music, you know, hear, hear their values and the music and the, and the rhythms and the, and the sound that they that they love reflected in this, like, um, you know, fusion of music is, is, uh-huh. but, but that, uh, 
you know, everybody has to be, as a jazz artist, you have to figure out like, how do you want to make it? What does success look like to you? Mm-hmm. Do you need, right. to, do you need to, do you need to sell out a jazz club or do you need to sell out a concert hall or do you need to sell out a stadium? Right. Right. What does that look like to you? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you focus on the art, you know, a lot, a lot of people say one of my good friends and mentors, Todd Barkin says, take care of the music and it'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and that that's true to an extent. But you got to figure out, you know, business wise, you know, who 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 can take you to the thing that you're looking for, you know, because none of us are born with right. all the answers. Right, right, right. No, I, I think I think you make some really interesting points. I mean, I think, you know, just to share with you, I mean, my pathway, I love music. I love playing music, but I also wanted to have a lifestyle that I wasn't on the road all the time. And right. I wanted to have a lifestyle where I could be home every night, in my own bed and, you know, something. So I became an educator. Uh-huh. And, and yet, as an educator, I still had ample opportunities to play, and certainly had within the context of my teaching, the ability to shape and form uh, music right. with, through my students. To me, that was, that was my success. Uh, oh, I like that. You know, and you're doing something similar. I mean, you're teaching at Michigan State, you know, you're doing Brevard, you're, you're involved as an educator as well as a performer, but uh, we, and we have all those different uh, avenues. And I don't think I've talked to in the last almost two years, a professional musician who isn't doing something multiple kinds of things. You know, whether it's whether it's playing, right. teaching, playing, uh uh, you know, right. whatever. Anyway, I, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit. Well, that, well I, that happens at all levels. Well, sure it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what yeah. profession you, you know, I, I, you know, I have a former student of mine still live, you know, he lives in Milwaukee. I, I'm pleased that he's making a living with music. So I talked to him and I said, well, how are you doing? He says, I just have to have multiple income streams. You know, he has two or three bands that he fronts. He runs a teaching studio. He runs a sound and light company. He's got, you know, all kinds of different things going on. So he he wears a lot of different hats, juggles a lot of balls, but nonetheless, he is, he's loving, you know, life and what he's doing. And that's really, I think what's really important. That's great. Anyway, I'd like to shift gears a little bit, kind of to more of your uh, writing side. Uh, yeah. Just starting off with what motivates you to write? Yeah, that's easy. Uh, people. I, I, I write all, almost everything I've ever written is is about somebody or about an ex- experience with someone or, you know, I just, I mean, that that's like the, I don't know, that's always stuck out for me more than like places or, or, or themes or Okay. You know, even even when I, like I wrote a tune called Deci- decisions and uh but the decision is about a person <laughs> you know, okay I was like you know kind of juggling relationships at one point and and I had to make a decision uh and and it was hard so but yeah I, lo- I just love I love people and uh okay and, and the, the things that I learned from them and, and I just you know I write I have songs written for my wife my mother my dad my, my children, 
my mentors. I have a song called Rufus Mc, McWhitman, <laughs> uh, which is written for Rufus Reed, Christian McBride, Rodney Whitaker, and Todd Kuhlman. Okay. It's a, a play on words, Rufus sure. McWhitman. You know, sure, and, uh, I got gotcha. you. So, so I had that. That's really you're, you're, you're kind of motivated by people's personalities and their behaviors and and uh or yeah 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 oh that's that's kind I of get a kick, I just I I get a kick out of people like I, I get a you know I, I I'm an only child basically and um and I have half siblings that I didn't grow up with and uh and I was left home quite a bit because my parents worked and and we had a babysitter sometimes but I had sure. to entertain myself. So, so I like doing impressions of people. Um, sure. I'm, I'm pretty well known for my Steve Ture impression, uh, great <laughs> trombonist, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen I, him. I, I could yeah. do Christian. I could do, I could do Christian McBride's voice pretty well. And, yeah. and, uh, so I just, I love, I, and I, and I, I love, I, I try to really, aside from like the one or two people I can't stand, <laughs> you know, sure. Generally, I like and appreciate everybody for who they are. Um, I understand, and that's, it makes my makes my life so much richer. And okay, that that's where that's really where all my music comes from. Well, when you get uh, inspiration, what usually comes first? Uh, a melodic idea, or a rhythmic idea, or a particular it's like, set it's of like round robin. Okay, that's a great question. It's a round robin. Sometimes it's a uh, Sometimes it's a a baseline, um, like 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 when I, I wrote a tune called Brooklyn for my daughter, my oldest daughter, and I came up baseline first. Um, okay. And then uh, and then I same with the tune called Solid Gold. Um, and 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 then but this last tune I wrote was is called uh, Horse Trading, and 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 the it's it's basically a call and response thing. On, on one side it goes. Dot, and then the other side goes da da da, so it goes left and right. So that's very rhythmic, and and so I came up with the rhythms first, then I added the notes later. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and then uh, I wrote a tune. I, I, I counted recently. I've written 15, 58 tunes, fifty-eight songs um, uh -huh. in, a, in, a, in about twenty years. In uh. I wrote a, this tune called The Big D for Detroit, allegedly. And, uh, and, I, and I wrote that melodically first because I was trying to write something really complicated. And okay. so the melody, came, the melody came first and then I adjusted the harmony and the, and, and the rhythm later, yeah. All right. Well, then, do you keep a, a sketchbook with ideas of heads or vamps or other musical ideas that you draw upon later? You know, you know, I used to. It's great advice. I, t I tell my students to do that. Um, I've done that thing uh, where I've written something and come back to it years later and finished it. And I, I think that's a great thing. I, I think, um, you know, as, as I got deeper into being a professor, and, and then getting married and having children that that was one of the things that I kind of dropped the ball on. Um, okay. So, so I haven't, I haven't done that in probably 10, 10 or so years. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's different. I mean, there's some people that have, they'll get an idea, they sing it into their voice memo on their phone or 
Yeah, oh, I, I do that. Uh, you know. Yeah, okay. I, oh, that counts. Yeah. I, oh, I of course it counts. Yeah. yeah it's oh, just, yeah. A, it's just right. a different, just a different kind of technology. Well, yeah, you know, I write stuff really fast too. I'm, I'm very quick. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, if, if somebody hires me to write something, I spend more time on it because I feel guilty, but sure. But, uh, sure. But, but for my, for my stuff, like I, I can usually sit down and between in, in 20 minutes to an hour, I have a, I have something I'm happy with. Okay. Oh, that's good. I want to switch gears again. I want you to put your college professor hat on uh, for a minute. And uh, I want you to address what advice do you give your students who aspire toward a career in music? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, as I as a lot of advice, I mean, but I, I could sort of go in order like and generally. Um, you know, listen to your teeth, you know, my students, if they, if they, if they're in front of me, then <clears throat> my goal is, I hope that they've figured out that I care about them and I want them to be happy as musicians, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's like number one, you know, and, and, and let, you know, let's say the music thing doesn't work out or change your mind. Like that we, you know, we're, we're still friends and, and there's mutual respect. I mean, I respect students and students should respect their teachers. Um, you know, when you, when you matriculate from high school into, you know, into college, and then you study something that you're passionate about, like music, there's a, there's a sort of a handoff there. And, uh, and it was something I wish I realized when I was a student that like, you know, educators, and especially great educators don't do this job for the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, they, they do it to, to share and to, and to perpetuate, uh, you know, a life in art. So, 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 you know, listen, I, I tell my, my students like ask questions, listen to your teachers and start making a plan for success. You know, have, have, have a plan, have a, have a, plan a week-long plan a a month-long plan a semester plan a year-long plan a plan for when you graduate and then and then a plan for when you move to wherever you go to try to practice your career okay all right yeah Yeah, i mean yeah you've got to have some for foresight some forethought about some things and uh and uh you know i've always I've always, as part of my teaching, also tried to be very frank with my students about, you know, if you're going to become a professional musician, this is not something that you can just be a dilettante with, because the competition is furious. You've got to really commit yourself and and to be good at, you know, and then as a music educator, you know, I would uh, I would tell my prospective music education students a lot of the same things that you just said. You want to communicate that you know, you care about them as people, about your students as people. It's, that's an important thing. And uh, yeah, I think you've got some, some really, really good advice uh, uh, for them. Uh, well, I, I would like to shift gears again in that I'd like you to, uh, if you would, talk about other musicians that you gig with either frequently or semi-frequently and what have you learned from your association? with other professional musicians. Yeah, oh man. Well, that's that, that's probably the 
end of the interview there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's like one of my one of my dreams as a as a student was to like I told you about Curtis Fuller. Like I wanted to be the next Curtis Fuller. Okay. And I and and that meaning I wanted to be a great trombonist. I wanted to play meaningful in a way that moved people. I wanted to help people's music sound better. And I wanted to play with everybody. You know, that's that's one of the things that I think is different. You know, with, with the career focused on band leading versus a career as a as a freelance or a side person. Mm -hmm. uh, a band leader plays with the same, generally the same people all the time. Mm -hmm. um, or if they're doing a tour, they might pick up musicians along the way playing, you know, a set uh, repertoire of music. Mm -hmm. that's that's a band you know that's that's just how that's how a band works you know until you do another recording and then you have different repertoire and then people say play the shit from the other record you know right <laughs> so, yeah they never want so, to hear what you're doing now they want to hear what you were doing then right and right and and and, and i like that uh but that's never been a been a huge goal of mine uh if somebody pays me enough and wants me to do a, a Michael B's group, Michael B's quintet or quartet, you know, I'll do it. But the, like, like you said, like the joy I get is, is playing with other people. And, okay. and so, so like to answer, to get into specifics, um, you know, I've been kind of work back backwards um, and I've been playing with David Sanborn for the past uh, four to five years. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's just been it's been a dream come true. He's he's so he's got such a amazing voice on the saxophone. Yes, and, I mean he's a singer. I mean all all the greats. And, and when you get to that level, you're you transcend the instrument and you're just a voice. Mm -hmm. Um, so playing in the front line with him with and then he has an amazing you know band behind him, a rhythm section. Uh, he he gives me a lot of solo space. And, and he is, he's, he tells his story. He's such a, a, a great storyteller that when it's my turn to jump on the microphone, you know, there's a, there's a drive and an inspiration that I, I, I rarely ever feel be, be, because it's the context with David Sanborn taking the first solo <laughs> is, is so much different. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I have to dig deeper. I have to look in different crevices of my soul and in my musical, uh, you know, it's not business as usual. It's not, oh, this is, you know, what I play or how I sound. It's, it's no, this is, here's a new situation. Uh, and, and you have to come up, you have to craft something that lifts and elevates the music. And, and I love it. So, so, you know, playing with David Sanborn over the past five years has caused me to grow and to take chances and to, and to, and to, you know, be more original, uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in sort of the most authentic way. Sure. So I love that. Um, you know, with the, uh, <clears throat> Illinois Jackets band when I first started in, in new york in 2001 and illinois jacket you know i was the last trombonist he hired in his band i stayed there for 
until 2004 until he passed. And, and the first trombonist happened to be J.J. Johnson. Wow. So that's a, to me, that, to me, that's like, I mean, I love J.J. So that's like, a, I, I feel really honored to bookend Illinois Jackets trombone section with J.J. Sure. Johnson. I mean, wow. Yeah. Um, but I remember playing in his band and, <clears throat> and he was, uh, stylistically, the band was like the Basie band, you know? And, okay. and, and, and so having to take solos with the plunger and, and, and in the style of Lester Young, you know, it was really special. And to hear Illinois Jacket do it in his eighties, mm-hmm. um, I remember, uh, one of my section mates, uh, playing over the bridge to stop it at the Savoy and he was he was taking too many harmonic chances okay it sounded amazing it sounded amazing but uh it, it was you know more 19 1990s than 1940s I understand and Jacket told him he said man I can't hear what you're playing play the melody mm-hmm and uh the, the cat thought that he may have to play louder but Jacket said no I can hear you just fine I can't hear what you're playing. <laughs> and after, I got gotcha. you. So, yeah, after that, you know, Jack had told all of us, all the trombone players, it's like, listen, none of you guys could carry J.J. Johnson's trombone case. Sure. He was, uh, he was trying to make a point, you know, he was trying to make a point that, that there's a, you know, that you got to learn you know how to how to walk before you can run. Well, yeah, and, and, that, and that everything has a place. And everything, yeah, yeah, and stylistically, you've got to you know you've got to do you've got to. I mean, I have an early jazz and ragtime group, so we play most everything we play is pre nineteen thirty. We're not going to be playing right. a whole lot of flat fifths, and you know, uh, or it, it, right, right. music into your improvisation. You know, I tell the guys that I said. Keep it primarily, you know, triads, maybe a seventh here and there, you know, play along the outline of the melody, but don't get too, you know, this is not bebop, not yet anyway. Right. So right anyway. Right. Um, well, that Wycliffe taught me that. I mean, I did a record with him playing saxophone and I started playing some uh, more modern language and he just laughed, you know, we took a break on the break. He just laughed at me. Sure. And, and he was, and it, it crushed me, man, because, <laughs> you know, because he's one of my heroes. And, uh, and and he just said, hey, man, you know, got to come on, man. Like we're playing St. James Infirmary, you know, <laughs> like leave leave the triplets out, man. You know, <laughs> sure. Well, and, and maybe to bring things back full circle as we're getting kind of down to the end of the interview. You know, we talked about Charlie Parker. Think about the reaction to his playing when he sat in in Kansas city and Joe Jones throws a symbol at him because oh, yeah. what, he's, what he's playing is so advanced for, you know, what they're thinking is. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hear you. There's, there's a time and well, place for everything. Jacket was famous. Illinois jacket. I mean, I was so lucky to, you know, I'll, I'll bring it full circle too. You know, I, I started out loving the saxophone from the R and B music and the, the, you know, the real rhythm and blues. Right. Um, and then turns out none of that stuff would have happened without Illinois Jackets solo on Flying Home in 1941. Exactly. You know, he was the the, the starter of that sound, and I and and somehow 
I was in the right place in the right time to join his band. Yeah. And Jacket would, was legendary for claiming some things in jazz. And, you know, may, maybe, maybe they're factual and maybe they're, you know, a little hyperbole, but uh, Jacket would say, he said these two things. He said that, uh, you know, that this fella came to Kansas City when Jacket was there and they spent all night playing together and drinking. And then the next, you know, six months later, he hears that he gets a message from uh, New York says, man, there's a guy in New York playing all of your shit, Illinois. And, yeah. uh, you know, his name's his name's Charlie Parker. And, um, wow. Um, you know, his name's Charlie Parker. And um, that was the one. So that was that was Jacket's way of sort of, you know, claiming. uh you know that he's responsible for bird and then the other one was that train came over before my favorite things and and was trying out his tenor and he played my favorite things and then illinois said play it on the snake charmer yeah and so so that's how that's how i got on soprano that's amazing amazing (laughs) well michael i've only got two more i've got two more questions i want to ask you uh because my listeners yeah. are going to be curious and I'm curious as well. I've been listening to, uh, you know, a number of your recordings and, uh, do you have any new recording projects planned or in the works? I do. I have, uh, I have a record coming out any, any month now, uh, on Podstone called, uh, best next thing. Okay. And, uh, but the, the best way I can explain it is it, the band is, Rudresh Mahanthapa, Alex Sipiagin, Rini Rosnes, Boris Kozlov, and Rudy Royston. And so okay. it's a it's a killing band. And you know, it, it, and except for Rini, people that I haven't played with a whole lot. Okay. And, and they have they kind of have like a different, you know, slant on the music that I have than I do. You know they. They, a lot of those cats play in the Mingus band, you know, Rude Resch can, you know, you know, runs the gamut of, of, of things that he, he, he can, you know, he has the hero trio. Um, he, he plays wide open and free and, and, and so it's really, it's really cool to try to take all these, you know, uh, unique and adventurous perspectives on jazz and kind of corral them and, and, into into the you know straight ahead kind of thing that i do right right and my music's not all straight ahead but it's it's primarily like blues and groove Mm -hmm. and 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 you know uh you know bebop to to hard bop i mean i hardly ever do any straight up bebop but um i mean it's a huge influence in me for sure and so my hope with the music is that you, you you get to hear what we create with uh, different glasses on, different lens, different filter. And then those musicians, they're so adventurous and edgy and unique and they they call something different out of me. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I don't like sounding the same or or coming from the same place year after year after year. We gotta gotta keep moving and keep keep looking. That's great, that's great. Well, I'm on the Positone mailing list, so I'll be looking for an announcement oh, about the release. 
And, great, uh, great. and I'll encourage my listeners to monitor the uh, Positone website and look for that as well. Well, as we wrap things up here, Michael, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I have not asked you about? Oh, gosh, you know, um, well, I'm, I'm here at the Brevard Music Center campus, and and I, I just encourage anybody 14 to 29, uh, if that doesn't describe you, the listener, then it might describe somebody that you know. And if you're interested in uh, working on jazz for uh, 12, yeah, yeah, 10 straight days with a world-renowned faculty, uh, uh, beautiful facilities here in the uh, mountains of North Carolina, you know, check us out. We're about to get started. Uh, we have great guest artists, and, and it's jazz music from, you know, literally 7:30 in the morning with breakfast through warm-ups and classes, big bands, small groups, all the way to dinner and master classes in the evening, jam sessions every night. So wow. that's that's that's, that's kind of my baby is the Brevard uh, Jazz Institute. Okay. Well, very good. That's one. And... That's, that's, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll look forward to your uh, new album and encourage uh, young students that are listeners. I do have a few to consider the Brevard, uh, you know, Institute and, and look for those things. And also, uh, you know, anyone, uh, you know, thinking about college to look at Michigan State. <laughs> consider oh, Michigan State, you know, it's a great, it's a great program. I went there. You know, if, if you want to come there and I'm I'm a factor in that, you know, that's wonderful. And I'm happy to hear that. But I actually came there because I saw what was happening in New York with the graduates. And Rodney Whitaker, like the great bassist, is the director there. And so I mean I'm I'm kind of like a Michigan State graduate too. Good. You know, like I I, w- I went there too and um and it, it's it has a world class faculty. And you, you learn the craft of this music from the very beginning up, up until what's happening today. Yeah. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Well, that's, thank you for that's, bringing that up. No, that's quite all right. I mean, you're just across the, the big pond of Lake Michigan from me. So, you know, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Michael, I want yeah. to thank you for taking time to talk with me today obviously on a very busy day for you. And I appreciate you, uh, all of your comments and, and taking time to be a guest on my podcast. And I want to, uh, you know, wish you all the best with what I'm sure will be a continued successful musical future. Thank you so much, Craig. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. You, uh, you really know your stuff. So. Well, all right. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> you have a great rest of the day. All right, you too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. My discovery composer of the week is Leo Kraft. Kraft was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1922. He died in 2014. Kraft was an American composer, teacher, and writer on music. He studied composition with Carl Rathaus at Queens College, City of New York, earning a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1945, with Randall Thompson at Princeton University, earning a Master of Fine Arts in 1947, and with Nadia Boulanger in Paris on a Fulbright scholarship from 1954 to 1955. 
From 1947 to 1989, he taught at Queens College. He has held important posts in the College Music Society, the American Society of University Composers, the Society for Music Theory, the American Section of the ISCM, and he was president of the AMC from 1976 to 1978. Crafts numerous music theory and ear training texts, and his active role in the College Music Society attest to his involvement in university teaching. His pedagogical approach has been influenced by Boulanger's emphasis on practical music skills and by Heinrich Schenker's theories as exposed in Salzer's Structural Hearing, published New York, 1952, and in 1962. His early music reflects the neoclassical attitudes of his teachers, together with the diatonicism of Hindemith and Copland. With his second string quartet, composed in 1959, he began to develop a more chromatic and intense musical language. During the 1980s, however, his style returned to its diatonic roots and developed greater lyricism, though harmonic tension can still be heard in Omaggio, composed in 1993. Later works, such as Cloud Studies from 1989 and From the Hudson Valley, 1997, reflect his lifelong love of nature. His rhythms draw upon diverse sources that range from the Baroque to jazz. The All Music Guide lists recordings of 16 of Kraft's chamber music, four of his choral compositions, two of his concerti, six of his compositions for keyboard, eight of his pieces for orchestra, two recordings of his symphonies, four recordings of works for voice with accompaniment, and four recordings of miscellaneous works. In my show notes is a link to a performance of Kraft's Symphony Number no. 2 for 16 instruments performed by the Queen's College Chamber Orchestra. That wraps episode number 93 my show notes, along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing New York City-based jazz flautist, composer, arranger, and band leader, Jamie Baum. Other upcoming interviews include New York City-based jazz bassist Boris Kozlov, the co-artistic directors of the vocal band Roomful of Teeth, Cameron Beauchamp and Brad Wells, and a special Friday twofer coming on August 19th with singer-songwriter Doriana Spurl and singer-songwriter Salim Nurallah. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at hurstc 
at uwm.edu. So, until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmo the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.